Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Such sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over there. Hello. That's Vanessa over there. Hi. Hi. I'm Kelly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> All right, take two. That's Eric over there. <laughs> hey, hey, how's it going? That's Vanessa over there. Good day, sir. Hi, I'm Kelly. <laughs> oh, God, it only gets worse. You can find my number at... You guys that, that, that. know that I like a movie called The Day of the Dolphin. Yes. Yes. So imagine my joy when this morning one of my favorite film podcasts, which I will refuse to name now... <laughs> decided to start talking about Day of the Dolphin. The guy, one of the guys there had never seen it. It had been recommended to Uh-oh. him. Uh-oh. And he began to shit all over my movie. Uh-oh. In fact, he was playing recordings of George C. Scott talking to the dolphin. And he was like, he, he's like, it, it's horrifying. You've got to listen to this. And he would play the, you know, and he's like, he's like, oh my God, if you were to record this and tell me that you had found a doorway to hell, I would believe you. I watched this at night and I was horrified. I was like, how am I going to get to sleep after listening to these sounds? I was like, you guess what, you guys? I'm never listening to you again. You know, some people just have such cold, dark little hearts and they do, just don't understand. They're yeah, not like yeah. willing to enjoy something. I, I Okay. Oh no, he 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 went on to say, you know, George C. Scott is being George C. Scott, and he's like, George C. Scott can't ha- he can't even half-ass anything. So he's sitting here having a dramatic moment with this dolphin, and I'm like, well, that's the time I started crying. <laughs> and then at the very end, after shitting on this movie for about five minutes, he goes, "But I was glad I watched it." <laughs> wow. Redemption. I can still listen to you guys. Jeez. That's sort of like I stopped listening to a movie podcast a few years ago because it wasn't that he hated the Lord of the Rings. Fine. You can hate a movie that's really good if you like. But the but his reasoning was so dumb. It's like, it's just people walking to go someplace. I'm like, if that's all you got out of Lord of the Rings, I don't give a shit to hear your opinions on films. I know. Ignore the entire hero's journey that is occurring before your eyes. The, the friendships. The, I say, like, come on, man. That was certainly my complaint about the book because they described every kind of grass they walked through for like 35 pages. Yeah, that is a large book. But yeah. the movie, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. I have a real problem with people who decide they're going to dislike a film and then just stick to it because yeah. it's fun to be the person who gets to shit on things. Yeah. And I, I hate that. I hate it so much. Like I'll, I'll say something's bad, but I full well know that anyone who's made a feature length film is better than me because they've made a feature length <laughs> film. <laughs> no matter how bad it is, as long as it's not literally insulting like people. Well, speaking of horribly bad films that are literally insulting, I <laughs> caught a movie on Amazon Prime that I guess I have always wanted to see and oh. just never pulled the trigger on it. And it was called The Video Dead. Oh, yeah. I remember this from oh, 1987. Oh, yeah. I had never seen it. It's got a great cover. It got a great 80s horror cover. 
uh, this movie was so bad from from the <laughs> the uh, the lowest employee on this film all the way to the top. They fucked up everything in this movie. Oh no! <laughs> the sound was bad. The angles were bad. The acting was horrifically oh, bad. Oh no! The writing was really stupid. <laughs> uh, the lighting was bad. Set decoration, everything. Um, in the end, I was glad I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> some some guy out there who like really was instrumental behind this movie just gave a little smile. It's like, yeah, yeah. This is about a haunted television set uh-huh. that accidentally gets delivered to the wrong location. It's supposed to go to a paranormal institute mm-hmm. and it goes to a house mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> the TV only has one channel and it is a channel of zombies coming out of the grave and then zombies come out of the TV. Oh, maybe the ring got a little idea from something, something. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm guessing that's exactly what happened. The, the director went on though, to have a pretty good career as a first assistant director or a second, second assistant director on um, Dracula Dead and Loving It. Oh, boy. Oh. But he was the first AD for uh, six episodes of Justified and 17 episodes of Banshee. Oh, well, so he's still working. Yeah. Right. Like, well, good, I was good say, on you, dude. There's yeah. a reason you haven't really directed anything I was going to say, since. directing and ADing is so different. Very different that, skill sets. Yeah, I can totally see that being like a crossover of like, yeah, don't ever make one again, sir. But <laughs> welcome on set to yell at people. That sounds good. I was just going to say, uh, so everybody seemed to hate you on this film. Have you thought about being an AD? <laughs> <laughs> you got very micromanagey to the point of everyone being very uncomfortable. Like not letting people take bathroom. You know what the perfect career for you is, <laughs> sir. <laughs> oh, well, um, I I had a kind of a weird week where I just I think with the election and like COVID popping back up in our faces, I just really needed to watch stupid, stupid, mindless crap. So I watched. The Holiday on Netflix. Wow. Okay. How is that? Actually, it was pretty good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably better In than the, end, the film. You were glad you saw. You watched. I was actually pretty glad I watched it. It, it was, um, you know, like I, I know that uh, we've been we've talked about it before, but um, Hallmark movies are they've really gotten pretty bad and lazy, and <laughs> yeah. Netflix is really filled in that hole. And as somebody whose entire family just loves feel-good films to the point where I've obviously gone in the opposite direction, <laughs> um, this was actually pretty enjoyable. It it had a fun premise. There was, it, I don't know, I just enjoyed it. Remind me who's starring in that. that was Nobody. Kind of a big, oh, I thought it was kind of a big movie for them. It's kind of a big movie, but there's no one famous in it. Okay. Yeah. I love the new Kurt Russell Christmas yes. movie from that. Christmas Chronicles oh. 2 should be coming out, yeah. I think, in the next week. So that's that exciting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. yeah. As soon as it finished, as soon as it popped up last year and exploded, they greenlit the it's second so one. so good. Kurt Russell is... Definitely one of my favorite actors and every role he does. I just love him as Santa Claus being like, why do they always have to depict me as fat? Why? (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. 
Yes, it's probably a smart move. It's like, I, I, I'm, I'm not 25 anymore. I'm not gaining weight for a role. So yeah. that has to be part of the thing here. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that part of the reason why I like movies like um, Holiday, and there's another one called um, Man Up, which has a terrible, terrible title. But, it's, <laughs> you know, films about where people who are like in their 30s or older are trying to date and figure out their rela- uh, their relationships and lives and like take directions, uh, take their lives in a slightly different direction. I find pretty fun to watch where it's like, screw the norm. We're doing blank. Yeah. (laughs) Feel incentivized and like justified in my own life decisions, et cetera, et cetera. Good call. I'm just going to be over here not saying anything. Eric, (laughs) (laughs) well, last week we talked about uh, the Mandalorian. I want to talk about my other favorite genre series right now, Star Trek Discoveries. Oh, I sure. I am loving that. I saw the first one episode. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm three out of four or five wow, okay. so far. And uh, I say, I think it's become my favorite Star Trek series. What? I Whoa. fucking love it. Whoa. It's so, it's got all the Star Trek stuff, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, well, they're telling new kinds of stories. Yeah. I mean, Deep Space Nine did it to a point. But, you know, they're pretty much movie of the week, TV shows, episode of the week. This is a solid ongoing story. Yeah. <laughs> that is definitely not a creature of the week at any point. And I just, some of the decisions they're making, I really enjoy what they're doing with the, uh, with Michael's character. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. The character Doug Jones plays is fantastic. <laughs> I do um, like Doug Jones. And do, has Pike shown back up again? No, okay. Not yet, although they did introduce something that made me go, uh-oh. Uh-oh. There's a 16-year-old super genius uh-oh. that started on the last episode I watched going, no, no, don't. Don't do not do this again. Don't next generation. So <laughs> shoot on some smart kid into this show for no reason. So we'll see where that goes, though. Writing has, I mean, even since, when was Next Generation? 87? Ended. Writing has evolved quite a bit, yeah. even just in that amount of time. Yeah. So I, you know, I've got confidence that you can write super genius kids into a show now, and and they won't be just obnoxious again. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I think I think it's sort of worth. I mean, I will take Wesley over Alexander any day of the week, though. There, there are bad kids. Uh, Alexander was Worf's kid. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Geez, yes. And like, and yeah. Naomi Watts, who's the Voyager child, she's okay too. Mm-hmm. So I think that you can have like kids in there that are okay. But yeah, you're right. When you introduce the super genius element, it's like, oh man. <laughs> but it, I, I, again, like I said, I think this is great. So I have faith that it will, okay. it'll figure it out. I do like that they changed time zones. <laughs> Time zones of 900 years. Yes, I do like that. That is pretty neat. (laughs) Yeah, the idea of Star Trek being a old ship, you know, it's it's like a relic Mm -hmm. that they're flying. It was the most advanced uh, starship in the Federation. Now it's a relic, except for the the way it travels. It's still Mm -hmm. apparently completely unique, but it's like... It's kind of fun. This should be interesting. <laughs> I need to get back into this show. Yeah, same. I I did see the first episode and I did enjoy it quite a bit. So I, yeah, I'm stoked to keep going because yeah. I was losing a lot of faith. A lot of faith. Really? I loved the end of season two. Season two is okay. Like season one is rough, rough. And I think it just kept changing 
direction so hard each time that it did like shake things up that I was like, what show am I watching now? <laughs> like, this is so different, but, um, overall, like there are some really fun, interesting characters in there and everyone they've introduced. I've really liked. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely one to watch again before you make the final statement on it being your favorite. But no, I, notice the way I said that I yeah. loved the way season two ended. Right. Moving up to those. Okay. There I were like moments, Pike, but yeah. those last two episodes were yeah. Jesus easily some of the best star based battles mm-hmm. shot in Star Trek. Just, holy shit, man. They're oh. dumping money into this son of a bitch. <laughs> I know. CBS doesn't have anything else to do. It's fine. <laughs> That's true. <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, I took advantage of HBO last night, and I watched a uh, a little gem I had forgotten all about called Broken Arrow. Oh, yes. Oh, my Christian God. Slater, yeah. John Travolta, Travolta, and Howie it's Long. John Woo movie, isn't oh it? My it is God. a John Woo yeah. movie. Uh, wow. This piece of shit was so bad. Oh, no. I remember seeing this in the theater and yeah, kind of too. liking it. Uh, the acting in this is atrocious. And oh. John Travolta is not the best actor in the world anyway, but I have to imagine that John Woo is just egging him on. I need you to be bigger. Bigger, bigger John. Your teeth, which are like gravestones, they're so huge. I need to see all of them while you're talking. Oh, my God. He's got some chompers on him man uh <laughs> and then i felt bad because i was like man what happened to christian slater that guy just moved into obscurity and mm-hmm. uh, i i look on his imdb he has been working so fucking much in yeah. shows i just don't watch like robot oh, mr robot robot mr robot mr robot yeah he was good in that He's and really uh just a ton of stuff i mean the guy never stopped working indie horror stuff like he's in toronto after dark starring almost every year oh okay yeah i was just so pleased to see that because he was actually very likable in this and it could have just been because travolta was so unlikable mm. but <laughs> i i i really was kind of stunned at how horrible the movie was huh. That's crazy because I remember the last time I saw Broken Arrow was when it was on <laughs> pay-per-view in probably 1996, mm-hmm. the early pay-per-view where you would like purchase it, I think via the phone and you had, you could watch it for 24 hours and it would start on one channel and you had to just be like, oh, at six o'clock it restarts again That's right. and then tune in. I think I probably watched it three times in a single day and felt like it was enjoyable enough for 1996. <laughs> wow. Well, you should give it a try again. <laughs> I don't think I want to. I think I'm good. I think keep, I have other things the, to do. Keep the nice memory you have of it. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was shockingly bad. And now I did enjoy myself, mm-hmm. but only because there were lines uh, that I could just say, you know, I knew what the next line oh. was going to be, not because I remembered it, but because the writing was so bad that I was like, well, the only <laughs> thing he can say after this was, I lied, or <laughs> miss me, or, you know, shit like that. Oh, no. I was like, boy, this is really bad. <laughs> well, um, I, I, another gem that I checked out this week, it was a weird week for me. Um, I, in fairness, I was editing a lot and needed stuff on in the background that I didn't have to pay attention mm. to. So sure. my follow-up choice after Holiday was The Help. The movie from a few, the Oscar yep. one? Yep. Okay. I, <laughs> I refused to watch it for so long because I was like, this looks really like, I don't know. There's something I don't want to see about this. And it was fine. It was, it was okay. It was it's, better than I expected. 
It's a good example of like what happened with Green Book. Yes, it's very much. Yeah, where it's that like same line. Here, white people feel good about yes, being nice to that's black ex- people. That's exactly what it is, and that's probably why I was really uninterested. Because when you know Moonlight has to like really scrape its way to the top, but fucking like Green Book just rolls in <laughs> through, and like, don't worry, there's a white person in it, so you'll be okay. It's driving Mr. Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> so true. God, fucking Green Book. Um, oh, yeah, it, it had that feel to it, but I. Do I do think the cool thing about it is it gave um, space for a lot of very cool female actresses who'd yes. been sort of sidelined for a long time to show up. And I don't know if this was before or after. I think it was before Hidden Figures, but it gave room for a lot of um, black talent to resurface or to be recognized. And oh, I think yeah. that was really nice. I mean, I don't think I'd seen, I, I definitely seen, um, I think it's Octavia Spencer mm-hmm. who's in it, but yeah. the main, um, woman I had not seen in anything before and she was great. So, yeah. and I don't mean redheaded Emma Stone. I mean, <laughs> African American woman whose story is being told through this film. So yes. Octavia Spencer is one of those women now that you're just like, eh, it can't be too bad, right? Yeah, She's yeah. so good in every fucking yes. thing. It doesn't matter if it's the stupidest movie or the best. She's just solid. There like, was... like George C. Scott. She doesn't yeah. half-ass it. That's right. so to. true. She whole she asses totally... it every time. Yeah, there was some film that um, I saw the other day where she was like a super bit role, but still nailed it. And I was like, damn, Octavia, damn, you're so good. <laughs> yeah. Man, I did not watch a lot this week. Who the fuck else did I watch this week that you know I'd want to talk about? Uh, a few things I watched. I don't know if I want to talk about. But um, well, we've been rewatching Shit's Creek, so because <laughs> that's still sure fantastic. Absolutely. Um, let's see what else. Watched a little bit of a very weird show on HBO. Which yeah. Lasted two episodes going. Yeah, this is just too much. Mm. Is a dog grooming contest show. <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect you to say that. Like slow, in my slow life. Slowly get the mortgage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were watching something on HBO Max. Might have been Black Christmas. But afterwards pops up like cute dogs getting groomed. Let's check it out. <laughs> cute dogs getting groomed with really annoying hosts. And no. really weird shit being done to some of the dogs. No. Or it's like. I'm going to put a uh, earring on the, like with tape on this dog and I'm going to dye its hair. This cause I go, oh, oh Jesus Christ. Run <sighs> dog, run. Oh, okay. I, I did watch a few episodes of evil. Oh, oh. I still, yeah. I'd seen the first two mm-hmm. before I, and, uh, just missed it going back, but going back, it's definitely worth finishing that show off because yeah good. i don't think there's anything really new going no. in on it but performances are really strong and i just i just ended up liking all of those actors yeah well after uh power man yeah i'll watch that guy and whatever he shows up and he's just so much fun so good on screen easy on the eyes too <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. I I keep forgetting the name of the show because it's so generic generic. and it doesn't represent what is really happening in it. So every time I'm like, what? God, I know there's this show I want to watch and it's on some streaming service. Which one? Netflix. Got it. All right. Well, at some point I'll remember that. 
because he's so dreamy looking and muscular. <laughs> he's not exactly what you think of when you're thinking of your your guy training to become a priest. Yeah. They should call that Cruciflex. Oh, oh my God. God. I would not forget Cruciflex. <laughs> That's what I mean. What like, was... Who's tuning in for Cruciflex tonight? <laughs> what was that amazing uh, named film on Shutter? I think you had posted about it. I don't. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're blood, blood vessel. Oh, blood vessel. <laughs> oh, yes. I really, I'm, I don't even know if that film is any good, although it's got like four out of five skulls on <laughs> Shutter. I'll just talk about it very briefly then. Uh, it is a so-so movie with an amazing third act and a really good vampire design. Okay, cool. But... It's blood not, not vessel. Good. Blood vessel. Come on. <laughs> you can't. Come on. It is, on, is it on a boat? Yes. Remember I have my little game of um, movies where they came up with the title before they yes. came up with the movie? Yes. <laughs> yes. That is 100% qualifying. So, all right. Why don't we take a little break then? And then we were coming back with my topic this week, which is uh, ghost movies that are not horror movies. <laughs> This was my topic choice, and yeah. I chose this, you know, a little, um, a little sneakily because I saw a movie oh, <laughs> that I ended up loving so much, and I was like, "How do I get to talk about this?" <laughs> Perfect. So the topic is, of course, ghost movies that are not horror films, mm -hmm. and I chose this topic because I had just seen the movie Ghost Town. So anyway, my five-year-old, Alex, Jeff, Oh, uh, no uh, talking. Uh, 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 that's better. Oh, Stop global warming? Ah, oh, good. Thank you. Excuse me, that's my cat. Can you hold the elevator, please? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Wait, hold, hey. You still don't believe... Sorry, you babbling idiot. Can we talk about my bowels? Is this your first colonoscopy? Gross invasion of my privacy, this. Wait till they get you in the back. When you're so box on what a terrible thing to say in a hospital. Hey, hey, you got a sec? Real quick, gotta hit you up for a favor. I don't feel well. Did anything unusual happen during my procedure? Oh, uh, you died. I died. A little bit. For how long? Seven minutes. A bit less. 
I died for seven minutes. A bit less. Everybody dies. I was dead. And then when they brought me back, I can... Oh, the dead have a lot of unfinished business, which is why we're still here. Help, please. Why are you dressed like that? Were you a maitre d'? You wear what you died in. At least I look nice. Everybody needs something done. You're the only person who can see or hear us. It's my daughter. She back is. off, Marjorie. I found him first. <laughs> Is this a bad time? If you want your quiet life back, I'll make you a deal. My wife, my widow, she's getting married to a bad, bad guy. Somebody's got to stop this. You do this for me, you'll never see any of us ever again, okay? From DreamWorks Pictures and Spyglass Entertainment. That woman lives in my building. Bertram Pincus, DDS. Who you are is a little bit of a jerk. Shoes. Your shoes are comfortable. I knew you were going to come off scary. I'm not scary. This fall, you're going to have to stop and ask yourself the ultimate question. This business of being such a jerk, what is it really getting me? Um. Hi. I'm going to get the next one. Don't be silly. Get in here. How do the ladies resist their rapiers? <laughs> this is how we do it, baby. See life. I suppose you're talking to him right now. Is that what you want me to believe? Wait! 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 In a whole new light. Ooh. The smell, I know. A very sensitive gag reflex. <laughs> Ghost Town. Oh! If I see one more whinging zombie anywhere no, no, near no, me... We're, we're not zombies. Zombies feed on human flesh. That's offensive. That's right. I remember you mentioning that you'd seen Ghost Town <laughs> mm -hmm. and that you enjoyed it. From 2008. Are you guys familiar at all with this? I don't think so. I, okay. I am. I lived in England when of, it came out. Of course you yeah. are. Uh, Eric, this is your kind of movie. Ghost Town. Has a budget of $20 million and a box office of $27 million. Oh. Ouch. But Rotten Tomatoes, the critics have it at 85%. The audience has it at 60%. It was directed by David Kep, who directed Stir of Echoes, oh. Secret Window. But you would know him mostly as a writer. He wrote... Death Becomes Her, Jurassic Park, Whoa. Carlito's Way, Jeez. The Shadow, Mission Impossible, Panic Room, Spider-Man, War of the Worlds, Zathura, Jack Ryan, and the recent The Mummy. Who is this guy? Damn. Right. What? Whoa. I mean, this is a guy who, even if you only got paid a million dollars for each of these screenplays, and I guarantee you he got paid more than that, right there, that's 10 million bucks. Yeah. Oh, my god! And that, that was only his big, huge hits that I... It down here. It was written by Kep again and John Camps, who wrote uh, The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. Oh, it was not a bad film. <laughs> the Borrowers and uh, just recently Premium Rush. Hmm. It stars Ricky Gervais. Nice. I'm you guys, aware. You guys know Ricky. Uh, he created and starred in the British version of The Office and a ton of shit. Yes. yes. He plays himself a lot. Yes. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, it also stars Greg Kinnear, who you'd know from As Good As It Gets, Little Miss Sunshine, and Dear God, I suppose, if you watch that. Uh, and Taya Leone from Wyatt Earp, Deep Impact, and Jurassic Park 3. She was one of these actors that had a lot of heat for a very yeah. brief amount of time, and then yeah. I, I don't know what happened. Yeah. This story is adorable. This is a, uh, <laughs> this is a ghost story that... Uh, is a romantic comedy. So Gervais plays a dentist named Bertram Pincus. And that's just a funny name. So uh, he's in New York City and he mostly keeps to himself because he's kind of an asshole. 
which we see pretty early on in a lot of kick the dog moments, like making sure no one can get in an elevator with him as the doors are closing. And they're saying, uh, hold the door, hold the door. And he's like, okay, okay. He's trying to press the door close. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) And uh, he also makes sure that nobody can get in a cab with him. And at the beginning of this film, he has scheduled himself for a routine colonoscopy and <laughs> uh, requests to be put under anesthesia against the doctor's suggestions. When he leaves the hospital, he finds that certain individuals on the street are following him wherever he goes and paying extra special attention to him. And it turns out that these are all dead people. And he is able to see and hear them because for seven minutes during his colonoscopy, he died and was revived. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's the whole premise of this story. It's so stupid. But I was I was laughing and I don't even know how I found this movie. I just started playing and it's on Amazon Prime. And uh, I just kind of got sucked up into it. And I was like, this is adorable. Where has this been all my life? (laughs) Um, The dead, of course, are all in need of one last request from their past lives, which is why they haven't moved on to heaven. And he is the perfect vehicle for this, except as we know from earlier in the movie, he's an asshole. (laughs) So all these people are begging him to talk to somebody in their past life so they can, you know, get going. And he's just like, not interested. And please leave me alone to the point where like, he'll be walking along and he'll see that somebody's a dead person and he'll go out of his way to make sure the person doesn't think he can see him (laughs) because he knows they're going to be like, you can see me. So... Uh, Greg Kinnear now, he is Frank. He is recently deceased, and he just happened to be a former resident of the same building that Pincus lived in. And he needs to uh, talk to his wife. When we first meet him, he is screwing around on his wife. And, uh, I mean, we we don't see him screwing around, but we know that he is doing that, and he gets hit by, like, an air conditioner (laughs) that falls out of a window and killed. (laughs) And... Apparently, he's been just kind of uh, wandering around with his wife and her new boyfriend. This is like a year later after all this. And uh, he he sees Pincus and says, you know, hey, you've got to stop this from happening. My wife is is uh, dating this guy and he's bad for her and all this stuff. And she lives in your building. And, of course, we had seen him. Um, make sure she couldn't get on the elevator with him. <laughs> so he does recognize who she is. Uh and he uh, he agrees to help because he takes a look at her and, and it's Taya Leone. And he's like, oh, wait a second. I didn't realize she was gorgeous. This changes <laughs> everything. Yes, I'll help you. Frank is um, is great canary. Uh Frank vows to make all the ghosts go away if Pincus will stop his wife, Gwen, from getting married to her new boyfriend. Uh, so Pincus grudgingly takes him up on the offer. But then guess what? He starts to fall for Gwen. (laughs) And she and Pincus actually hit it off pretty good uh, as friends, despite her involvement with her boyfriend. She is a um, Egyptologist at a museum and she is working on uh, a mummy. And Frank has uh, made a a joke about uh, the the dental work and all this stuff at, at like this museum opening and stuff. And she's like, wait a second, do you actually know what you're talking about here? And he's, oh, yeah. And, and so they kind of headed off. And once you get 
you know, under his gruff exterior, he's actually a very likable guy because he's Ricky Gervais. He's funny <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's just playing himself. He, yeah, he just feels kind of like the kind of guy you <laughs> would actually uh, hit it off with pretty well. Uh, that, of course, does not work for Frank, whose whole thing <laughs> was, you know, I want to get rid of this guy. And the problem is the reason he wants to get rid of her new boyfriend is because she's dating a guy. <laughs> Oh, it's not because the boyfriend is evil and all oh. that stuff. In fact, Pincus starts to meet him and is like, he's a perfectly nice guy. Now I feel like a shit because I <laughs> like his fiance and you're a shit for trying to make her break up with him. Oh, so he's um, I mean, the new boyfriend is not exactly exciting or anything, but he is <laughs> nice. Um, so this is very typical romantic comedy stuff. Sure. Uh, they become pretty good friends and she's actually starting to fall for him. And he decides, you know, I can't, I can't do this because I'm lying about this. And so guess what? He decides to tell her the truth that I know all this stuff about you and I can come up with these things you like because your dead husband is whispering <laughs> in my ear. And of course, this is one of those, you're being ridiculous. That's not how this works and all that. But she's crying. They they split up, you know. And so this is the, um, this is where a boy loses girl. You guys, will they find a way to make this work? I'm not telling. <laughs> I don't want to give anything away, but this might have a happy ending. Aww. And it definitely has a funny ending Aww. because, um, because Pincus gets hit by a, a truck and dies. So, <laughs> oh my God! Wait. And uh, it's it, it was it was a pretty pretty dang good movie. Uh, I only have a couple of notes here, and one of them is the Beatles song "I'm Looking Through You," which you might not know by the title, but you would know if you heard is used in the movie, and it is one of the very very few occasions where the original version of a Beatles song has been allowed to be used in a film. <gasps> Wild cool. because uh, because Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney and Yoko Ono control all that stuff right. and it's just like no we're not going to let that happen. Uh, <laughs> there are three taglines for this movie. Each one of them is pretty stupid, but they also made me <laughs> chuckle. Uh, the one I like best: he sees dead people and they annoy him. <laughs> uh, Doctor Doctor Bertram Pincus can see you now. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> and then uh, this place is so dead. You're not helping me want to see the movie now. I was the all movie, on board for that. The movie is fucking adorable, and I win this one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. Well, why don't you tell me a better movie? <sighs> Maybe I will. So um, <laughs> the movie I chose for this is a actually beloved film of mine. It's the 1990 film Truly Madly Deeply. The day Jamie went away, Nina's whole world fell apart. It's tragic. One minute he has a sore throat, and he's having an examination. The next moment he stopped breathing. Then, without warning, he came back. <laughs> it was truly miraculous. Come back. Yeah. 
This is Freddy. Uh, this is Pierre. Uh, some of the guys wanted to come back. And... You're telling me that there are dead people in my living room watching videos? Five easy pieces or Fritz Corral. But living in the past... Was it like this before? ...can mean a life without a future. Sort of worked out that you're living with somebody else. How can she choose between the man she truly, badly, deeply loved? I can't believe I'm doing this. And another man. I love basically everything. Uh, music, curry. I can practically recite the complete works of all. Truly, madly, deeply alive. I've got to be somewhere else. It's very complicated. But darling, I don't want you to go. I don't know what I want. Truly, madly, deeply. Truly, madly. I really, truly, madly love you. Now, not a lot of people have heard of this. Have you seen this? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of it, but I have not seen it. Okay, cool. Um, Let me me double check. I'm pretty sure I've seen this, but... uh, I came across this when I was living in the UK, so it was just one of those weird ones where I feel like when I got to the UK, the people I was hanging out with just kind of sat me down and threw videotapes on for like two years (laughs) because I saw a lot of really weird content that I never heard of again when I came back. So my copy of it is like a British uh, DVD. I don't even know how you see it here. I'm sure it's not at all impossible. Um, but uh, the audience will agree with me from Rotten Tomatoes, 88%. Mm-hmm. Critics gave it 73%. That's still pretty still good. good. Not too yeah. bad. Um, the budget was um, $650,000. It was shot in 28 days, and it made $1.5 million, which is pretty good because it was actually originally a made-for-TV movie. Oh, wow. Wow. What year did you say this was? 1990. 90, okay. Mm-hmm. The director is Anthony Minghella. Uh, he's directed nine films, written 19. Um, you would know him from uh, Talented Mr. Ripley, which he both wrote and directed, uh, as well as he wrote Cold Mountain, The English Patient, and Jeez. a lot of British TV, including um, some that I know, Grange Hill and Inspector Morse. It's starring some very cool humans. So the star of the film is um, a character named Nina, uh, recently not widowed, but recently singled by her (laughs) significant other dying. Um, And that's played by Juliet Stevenson. Uh, She has been in a ton of stuff, 84 different titles. Uh, If you saw her, you would know instantly who she is. Um, She was in Nicholas Nickleby. She's been in Emma. She's been in Bend It Like Beckham. But she's been in a lot of UK TV, and you're going to hear that a lot from me today. (laughs) Co-starring with her is Alan Rickman. You may or may not know of Alan Rickman. He's been in 70 different things. He plays Jamie, the no longer with us boyfriend. Funnily enough, uh, he did this first. uh, I'm sorry. Die Hard was one of his very, very first films ever. Before that, he was actually like a... um, graphic designer (laughs) who turned to theater pretty late in his life just for, for the fun of it. And then got diehard and people were like, Oh my God, you're like 
bringing it and you're bringing <laughs> something very cool yes. that no one expected. Um, after Die Hard, not too long after he did this film and then right after this, he did uh, Robin Hood, then came Sense and Sensibility, followed by Dogma, Galaxy Quest, et cetera, et cetera. So like this was kind of part of that early build of his career. He, he was one of those actors that for a year or two was in like every damn movie that came out. Yes. <laughs> and we were happy about it. Yes. Exactly. Yep. And unfortunately for anyone who doesn't know, he's no longer with us, but just such a talented guy. I, he, I think he brought so much to like Harry Potter and I, I, every, sure. everything he rolled into, he took a character who should be crap and made amazing. So, um, a couple other, there, there's a lot of other people in this, but I don't think unless you're like a huge fan of British stuff, you probably won't really recognize them. Um, one of the few other people you might know is Bill Patterson, who's sure. been in 145 things. Uh, most recent, notably, he plays the dad in Fleabag. Um, he's Ned Gowan in Outlander. He's been in a lot of UK TV. Yeah. So, you know, you look at him and you're like, man, he looks vaguely familiar. He's done a ton of stuff, but, um, again, mostly UK stuff. Uh, and also there's Mark, sorry, Michael Maloney, who plays Mark, who is another young, attractive gentleman in this film <laughs> who is probably attractive only if you think certain people are attractive. Um, and he, he's been in 147 <laughs> things. Most recently, Sir Robert Peel in Young Victoria. So a lot of British people in this, which makes sense because it's a very British, British film. Um, so the plot, Nina has lost the love of her life, a talented, a talented cellist who basically one day got a sore throat and then died. Um, wow. Yeah. Very, very quick, very harsh, very sudden. Um, she's in therapy, but she's kind of constantly breaking down. She's refusing to go out and spend time with her coworkers. She's just hiding away in this really dumpy apartment. And uh, that apartment has a growing rat infestation. She's like waking up to them, like crawling across her. Yeah. Yeah, losing her damn mind. Her plumbing is broken. Everything's going wrong. And there are little hints too. like the people around her really want to help her, but she's not letting them. Um, she has a coworker who also had a, a very bad breakup. It was a divorce, not a death, but he kind of tries to reach out to her and make sure she's okay. She just refuses to spend time with them. Um, the, the guy who's repairing her plumbing is this Polish guy who's in, he says he's in love with her and buys her random tickets to go to France with him. <laughs> and, and she's just like, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm, going to go back to bed. Good night. <laughs> no interest <laughs> in this poor guy. Um, one day her sister comes over, uh, and tries to kind of help her out. She shows up with her son. They're, they're having a good time hanging out in the flat. She's helping her clean, um, trying to, you know, just give her a little bit of, of attention. And, um, she, brings up the idea, hey, you know, your nephew that you adore is trying to learn how to play the cello. Maybe he could use um, Jamie's old instrument, Jamie's the boyfriend. And Nina loses her mind. She goes into a total rage and says, you know, how dare you? He's barely been dead, even, you know, however long he's been dead for, um, which I don't <laughs> think they ever say. Um, and this is him. This is an extension of him. You can't have this. That's insulting. Um, so sister leaves. 
uh, Nina sits down at her piano, starts to play, and lo and behold, Jamie shows up. Just, hey, what's up? How's it going? I'm, I'm here. You seem, you seem a little sad. I'm here. Let's hang out. Uh, she is so excited and so thrilled. And it's an interesting kind of version of a ghost. Um, he's touchable. He's, he's there. Like you can interact with him completely. She basically bangs him for two days straight. Uh, she's just so excited. He's, he's available. But the thing is, um, he is dead and he's very cold. So kind of the only real drawbacks. He can disappear at will whenever he needs to just not be there. He does. So if somebody comes over, he will just go away, which causes Nina to really um, panic because she's so needing of him and so dependent on him. Now, it seems like all of her prayers have been answered because the love of her life is back. The, the completely perfect, amazing Jamie. But it, actually maybe turns out that he's not so perfect <laughs> and as he's back he's still exactly who he was so he comes back he's still pretty like critical of her he's like man this place is a dump why do you live here <laughs> he's like these decorations are awful why don't you have the stuff that i gave you hanging up and she's like uh uh, well, um, yes. Okay. Let's put this thing up. That is obviously really ugly. It's no big deal. Um, he also is, you know, kind of, he's very complainy. He's a very complainy man. So she has a bit of a cold when he comes back and he's like, Oh my gosh, don't sneeze on me. I don't want to get a cold. Who knows how long that's going to last if I'm dead. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, so, little things like that. And suddenly Nina finds herself maybe not spending as much time in the apartment anymore. <laughs> On top of it, he also starts to bring friends around other dead people oh, that he's, he's made friends with in the afterlife <laughs> because she has a video player and these guys have not seen movies in so long. <laughs> so they kind of take over her apartment. First, it's just three other guys and then it's like, 10 people and then it feels like every time she comes back there's more and more ghosts hanging out doing stuff in her apartment most of the time it's just watching videos sometimes they have like an entire orchestra going like he has all these ghost dead musician <laughs> friends they're very annoying they have no respect for her her privacy or her space in the meantime, um, she's kind of opening up more and more to her friends because she doesn't have that barrier of being depressed and, and missing Jamie. So um, she goes off to this cafe with one of her um, one of her friends, and there's this weird situation that's occurred where her friend is Spanish, and it's a cafe that's mostly Spanish um, workers. And I don't mean Mexican; I mean from Spain. And the owner of this cafe, um, there, there's a giant fight. Apparently, he's been underpaying them. And uh, kind of screwing them all over because they're immigrants. And so um, they've been taking money under the table to make up for the lost wages that he, the little wages they, they're they supposed to be making, that he's been taking extra money off the top saying that he has to pay their tax. So therefore, they shouldn't even get that much. Um, so she gets into a giant argument with the owner. And all of a sudden, the guy in the corner, another fine English gentleman, stands up in the middle of this giant row and just starts going and to the left I have this and to the right I have that and what is up my sleeve and he's like standing up and everyone's just staring at him like what and he 
brings a like bird out of his coat and releases it. And it's just this like impromptu magic trick. And everyone's just like, uh, and starts clapping. And then he just sits back down quietly like, all right, that's taken care of. My work here is done. <laughs> So this strange man sort of pops up in her world and she tries to talk to him afterwards to say, you know, thank you for trying, you know, resolving that. Um, but he just runs off. He's like, oh, yes. OK, bye. Um, and she runs into him again on the streets of London. Uh, he's getting onto a bus with a bunch of um, uh, developmentally uh, dis uh, disabled people. And he's a art therapist um, teacher. So he's, he's teaching hmm. people therapy through art. I know, right? Seems like a, a good guy. Yes, a very good guy. The most good guy. The most opposite to Sir Jamie as possible. <clears throat> Clearly. Um, and he says, you know, actually, um, I I was wondering if maybe um, you would go out with me sometime. Um, and she goes, uh, and like the she's on the bus and he's gotten off the bus and the bus is moving. And she's like, oh, uh, yes. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So now she's got a date with this guy, which is fine because she doesn't actually have a boyfriend. <laughs> and of course, every time she goes home, it's getting worse and worse and worse. Like at one point she comes back and Jamie is there by himself playing the cello. And she's like, oh, no, no, don't let me disrupt you. It's beautiful. And he's like, well, you're back awfully late. And she's <laughs> like, yeah. And he's like, it was always like this. And she's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's hang out. And he's like, well, I have company. There are 10 ghosts hanging out in your bedroom. I wasn't going to stand Jesus. here all by myself all night waiting for you. So um, that being said, she does go out on this date, but instantly feels bad for it about it. So she shows up late and then she's like, you know what? I'm sorry. I can't be on this date. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. Okay. Look, this is the shortest date I've ever had. However, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I will walk you to the tube and I am going to hop on one foot up until this lamppost and tell you everything about me that you need to know. And then we'll switch and you'll hop on one foot and tell me everything about your life. And then you can go away to the tube and go home. And she doesn't really have a chance to agree or disagree because he just starts hopping and talking about his whole life and about how he was this like suicidal teenager, but he doesn't really remember why. And then like this thing happened in his family. So he decided to get into art therapy and it's very funny. It's very, very sweet. And then uh, he gets to the lamppost and he's like, okay, now you, and she's like, uh, and she just starts talking. He's like, no, no, you must hop <laughs> in front of all these people going down the middle of uh, the walkway along the strand. She she starts to open up and talk about her life and she's laughing. She's having a good time. And then out of the corner of her eye, she sees a cellist on the street that looks like perhaps it is Jamie. So she instantly stops. She closes up. She runs off. She goes back home. And of course, at home, things are not great. A friend of hers goes into labor, has a baby. She runs off, helps out with that. And when she comes back, it is the worst. There are like 50 ghosts in her apartment ripping up her carpet under Jamie's tutelage saying, oh, there's silverfish under here and it's a hideous carpet. It's really ugly. Look at these beautiful hardwood that you've had under here this whole time. Like we got to release these boards. And she's like, you have to stop. I love this carpet. And he's like, no one loves this carpet. This is a bad carpet.
carpet. And so she finally breaks and she's like, everyone get out. She rushes, she makes them all leave, um, except for Jamie. He's like, that was incredibly embarrassing. How could you do that to me in front of all these people? And she just says, was it always this way? Were, was it always this was this our relationship this whole time? And she says, you know, it's funny because when you died, I found all this stuff I had hidden that I was too embarrassed to bring out because I knew you'd hate it, but it were things that I loved. And, you know, do you even remember our first date? And there's this very touching moment where at first he's like, yeah, I don't know. We did something. And she's <laughs> like, well, okay. You don't remember what we did. And he's like, well, we talked and she's like, what did we talk about? And then he kind of goes into detail about this really touching story, remembering every single thing that they talked about on their first date and how romantic and lovely it was. And, um, it's just so heartbreaking because it's clear how much these two people love each other, but he is dead <laughs> and not necessarily a perfect human being when he was alive. And um, he recites this really beautiful little poem, which I won't say all of. Um, it's a Spanish poem by Pablo Nureto called The Dead Woman. He says it in Spanish and she translates. Um, he says, uh, my feet will want to march toward where you sleep, but I shall go on living because you wanted me to be. And he says, do you want me to go? And she says, no, I, I never, 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 never. I never want you to leave. Uh, she leaves the apartment and it's clear that things are kind of at the end of whatever they were or were not. Uh, she goes and finds Mark. She apologizes. She explains that, you know, she, uh, she's dealing with a recent death of somebody she really loved. And, um, he says, you know, I really am very much interested in you. So I, you know, can we, can we go out again? And she agrees and they go out on a date. When she can, comes back, Jamie's gone. It's not in the apartment. Cannot find him. He's disappeared. Um, he's clearly moved on. So she cleans up the apartment. She starts to put things back together. She's getting her life organized again. And the very last bit of the film, um, Mark has arrived to take her out on a date. She goes, out the front door, gives him a kiss. First time we see them kiss. And in the window is Jamie, surrounded by ghosts who said, we did it. And they're clapping him on the back and they're smiling and they're laughing and he's crying, but he's laughing, but he's crying. Obviously, he came back to show her the worst parts of himself so she could move on. This film is fucking incredible. I was about to say, man, you fucking love this movie. <laughs> I know. I don't think like... you have notes. I don't think you needed them at all. <laughs> I, I know. I didn't just... really look at it. It's funny. <laughs> I've only seen this film twice, and the last time I saw it was like 15 years ago. But this film is just so beautiful. It's cheap. It's so cheap. They did so little for the ghost effects. There's no effects. Right, There's yeah. no effects. It's literally just there. <laughs> Alan Rickman shows up sometimes and then he's not there sometimes. Um, it reminds me so much of England. I can't help it. I, I really love it. Um, it. The characters are just so real and genuine. And what they're experiencing is a very unique version of loss. And it doesn't matter whether you've this is a loss because of a, a breakup or a death or whatever it is. It's about lost love and trying to move on when you just can't. And she does this film so well, I mean, they just act the shit out of this. <laughs> There's some wonderful lines. It's funny. It's sweet. It's sad. Um, 
there's not a lot to dislike in it other than it's just sad. It's just really sad. Um, and I guess I wish they'd expanded Mark's character a little more. He's just kind of great. Um, but he's you know, <laughs> he's a device. He's a hundred percent a device. This movie is all about Juliet Stevenson. In fact, um, a little bit of trivia, the director made this film for her. Uh, he wanted her to have some expanded acting chops. And to this day, she said, um, it's, her favorite role of her career. And she said it was a lot of fun to shoot. The shoot was basically like being at a party. This, uh, although it was a made for TV film, it actually won several BAFTAs, including best screenplay, best actor for Alan Brickman, best actress for Stevenson and promising new newcomer, uh, for Mangala, the director. Um, it became a hit in the American art, art house circuit. Um, and Mangala was offered work by pretty much every major studio after it came out. Um, Alan Rickman does know how to play the cello, but he plays it with the wrong hand. So they had a stunt arm cellist who stood behind him during all his cello scenes and put an arm through his like coat underneath his armpits and would play <laughs> play that cello for him as he kind of stood there. Juliet Stevenson actually played all of her own piano parts. So that uh, is I, my I didn't pick. realize that was a thing for cellists that you had to play with a certain arm. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's like, or at least maybe visually it looks weird if you're doing it the opposite I arm. I can see that. Yeah. So I think he played it with like left left hand or something. But if you if you haven't seen this film, I know I basically told you the entire plot of it, but really it. see it. <laughs> Seriously, it's there's a lot I didn't talk about in here that's very just touching, beautiful details. So yeah, check it out. Wow. I will put that on the list. <laughs> I think you would dig it. I think you'd dig it a lot, Kelly. Okay, well, this is decidedly not a romantic movie in any way. <laughs> <laughs> so we've gone from lighthearted romantic comedy to romantic drama with yes. comic comedic elements to High Plains Drifter in 1973. <laughs> a drifter came riding out of the West. You know him as Clint Eastwood. The citizens of Largo didn't know him at all. What did you say your name was again? I didn't. Fear was in their greeting. Murder was in their minds. Look, we're talking about hiring a gunfighter. Yeah, but we don't know anything about that fellow there. Shot. You don't want your shops or your houses burned. You don't want your women touched. You don't want anything to happen. Except you're afraid to do anything about it. That stranger's got everybody in this town at each other's throats. One man against one town. Not bad odds. About time this town has a new sheriff. I'm the sheriff. And the mayor. The mayor and the mayor. Any objections? Oh. You shot my ear off! I'll kill everybody! You know what you are. You're an animal. Well, you have a way of bringing that out.
Clint Eastwood's third film he directed. Oh, shit. I didn't realize he directed it, though. Yes, yeah, his third. What first year Western he directed, 73. Okay, gotcha. He directed uh, Beguiled and something else before this one. Hmm. But uh, the Rotten Tomatoes on this one, the critics at 92. Oh, my the God. The audience at 86. Whoa. Had a $5.5 million budget and did about $16 million at the Whoa. box office. Way to go, Clint. Jeez, way well. to pull out the big guns on us. Yes, you may know Clint Eastwood from his directing of The Gauntlet and Jersey Boys. <laughs> <laughs> did he really direct Jersey Boys? Apparently. <laughs> Good God. And if you've ever seen The Gauntlet, it is one of his worst films in so many ways. Absolutely. <laughs> I've not <laughs> seen this. Bad. They have a scene in that movie where so many guns are fired into a house, it falls down. <laughs> oh, no. And all the people inside live. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's not a great film. Maybe they crawled under the floorboard. <laughs> it, was, it was written by Ernest Tidy Man. Oh. Who was uh, best known for, he wrote the novel The Shaft was based on. Oh. Created the character of Shaft and also worked on a couple of the the uh, there's a Shaft TV series. Yeah. What? In the 70s. Yeah, I didn't know that one. And he wrote The French Connection. Oh wow. shit! So he had some writing chaps. Stars Clint Eastwood, who you might know from Revenge of the Creature, <laughs> Tarantula, and Mr. Ed. <laughs> <laughs> he was in Mr. Ed. Apparently, uh, a- like an, an episode. episode or, yeah. And Revenge Not of the wow. Creature was his first film. Oh. Uh, Verna Bloom. From Animal House and After Hours. And uh, Marana Hill, who just had her in a movie. And she had like the last, oh, fi- last, Mariana last Hill. week. So. Uh, yeah, what did I... Whatever your <laughs> film was last week, she was in. Yeah. Yeah, that one. That one. <laughs> you guys all know it, we don't. <laughs> Best known Messiah for... of Evil. There you go. There. And I had her down for just Godfather Part 2 and oh. Blood Beach. Blood Beach, oh man. <laughs> So this, this, you might not have heard this from a Clint Eastwood movie. A man rides into town alone on a horse. <laughs> he doesn't say anything. He actually doesn't say anything for, I think, seven minutes. Oh, my God. And, and uh, but boy, this is him at his most monosyllabic. <laughs> he says very little in this movie. <laughs> um. I had a weird question, though. I was watching this movie. How the hell did anybody find anything when they're wandering around in the Old West? <laughs> How do you, you find this compass, little compass, man. It's like the ocean. <laughs> and some of the locals there seem upset that he's arrived. He kills them. They're no longer upset. <laughs> <laughs> this has a horribly problematic scene at the beginning of the film that I'd completely forgot about, where he uh, rapes Mariana Hill. Wow. And uh, it's not a particularly violent scene, but it's still what it is. So it's like, okay, this is... If I recall correctly, it makes sense in the context of what we learn. By the end of the film, yes. rape is never a good thing, but... (laughs) Where are you going with this, Kelly? We learn that he is not necessarily who we are led to believe he is. Exactly. Oh, okay. There's an interesting scene to what's going on in the film where... uh, uh, I'll, I'll say from the beginning, this is kind of, this is going to get into the spoiler of what the film is about, sort of. There's actually disagreements as to whether he is a ghost or not oh. when, it, when, the, when it's all said and done. You, where you see a scene where he's whipped to death or apparently looks like he's probably dead from the whipping. 
and the movie's just horrible when she complains about getting raped and wants something done about it. And the people in town are basically like, oh, poo poo, lady, go away. Oh, <laughs> no. It's, just like a time. it's the entity yeah. all over again. No, it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Um, then it turns out he killed the three men that were supposed to protect, protect the town from these other three men who are getting out of jail. So they decide they've got to hire. His name is literally in the script, The Stranger. Mm -hmm. Never says his name. Um, so they hire The Stranger, protect the town. And uh, they, when this town gets together to meet, it's like, we'll just give this guy whatever he wants and we'll make sure he'll, he's going to stick around. He'll do it. And boy, he's an asshole. <laughs> he is, except to the, you know, to the people that the town's assholes to. He's nice to them, but he is. I'm the mayor. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and the sheriff. I'm the sheriff. <laughs> He's kind of training the town to fight. Uh, they go. There's this is if you've seen Sergio Leone film, you've seen this movie. You've seen Pale Rider. You've seen this movie. So I'm not going to go into a lot of details of what goes on because there's some really interesting shit about this film. Mm -hmm. But uh, the he starts to kind of train the town to fight, sort of. I mean, he's not putting a lot of effort into what he's doing. Uh, they go back to the whipping scene again, and it's over three minutes long mm -hmm. of him getting whipped to death by these three people and this town people all standing around just watching it happen. The, but of course, it being a 70s movie, the lady he raped later comes back and sleeps with him again. Of course. <laughs> so, Coming back for right. more. Um, some point, some of the people in town decide they're done with uh, him and they're going to take him out. And that doesn't go well for them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and he has the entire town painted red, which is surprisingly striking looking. It is so neat. Um, and part of what really works well in the neatness of the painting is it's not remotely well done. No. Like there's paint dripping all over the windows and it's, it was obviously done very quickly, which works in the context of the story. It's and the town is renamed hell. Oh, and uh, there I came across a strange trivia that I think it was one of those IMDb ones. Like, oh, I don't think this is real. Because they, they made it sound like the crew decided to rename the town Hell because of Clint Eastwood saying go to hell too much or something. Going, no, I'm pretty sure since they painted the whole fucking town red that that was probably in the script. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think some of the crew members just got, I got a cool idea. <laughs> just don't tell Clint about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing about this film, I think it would make a fantastic double bill with High Noon. Because it's sort of the opposite of High Noon in a way, but exactly the same. It's it's uh, it would be really neat to watch together. I think because I love High Noon. That's yeah, one of yeah. my favorite westerns. Um, the D. Barton who wrote the score is far more uh, reminiscent of horror than western. The, the music is not western per se. So you know, I'm into notes already. So I just. <laughs> They show up a town, shit goes down, you get to see what happens. There's a, there's a line at the end that implies that he is a ghost. And the people who've interpreted the film like to go back and forth whether he is or not. The little person who makes the sheriff and the mayor keeps asking, he's asked him like I think two or three times, what's your name? At the end, he said, what's your name? He says, you already know. 
drives off, rides off into the <laughs> sunset. Doesn't he um, like ride off into the heat waves and then he suddenly disappears? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so. the, it is done so well that it could look like he's fading into right. the, just fading away as he as he would, mm-hmm. or he's really fading away. Right. So. Yeah, because so the what we learn at the end is that the townspeople were there when he was killed, yes. and he's come back not just to take revenge on the people who killed him, but on the entire town. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a it is a great scene when the they get all set up, and he has them do a bunch of stupid shit, like make this big picnic and all this strange stuff. And the the three stranger or the three prison guys start to arrive, and he just rides out of town. <laughs> it's wow. such a fantastic scene. Oh <laughs> my like, god! <laughs> so it it is really it's a neat movie. It's a really really good western. I also seem to recall. Boy, it's been forever since I've seen this. Uh, do we see like some whips coming out of the darkness or something yes. like oh, yeah. that? And that's very much shot like a horror film. Oh yeah, it's the the scenes with the whipping are very horror film reminiscent, yeah. and it's it's also unique in that a lot of the the whip is used a lot in a lot of situations that nor- a gun normally would have been used. Mm-hmm. So it's it's aesthetically very different at times, and it's really cool. I think it works very well. Those are the scenes that stand out to me with this film, probably because it's got that horror aesthetic so much. Some of the extras on the film, this just came out in a giant, really good remastered mm. uh, Blu-ray by uh, Kino, Kino, what's it, Laredo? I think that's how you say their name, K-I-N-O. I've got it somewhere in my notes. I'll catch up to it. But, uh, man, it looks good. Holy shit, is it gorgeous. And one of the people they have an interview with is Edgar Wright. And makes a very astute and very true statement that the main thing about this movie, as opposed to many Westerns, is it's really Mm. mean-spirited. It is not a nice film. There's really, even the hero, quote unquote, is, is not a nice guy. He's no. a, he's an asshole. He's mm-hmm. just dickish. Uh, Mariana Hill is also interviewed, produced by a horror icon and one-time guest of Crypticon, Heather Buckley. Oh, oh Interviewed yeah. her for this. And uh, she had a great and I think incredibly accurate description of this film is the whole movie is karma in action. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that really works. <laughs> and I mean, this is how new the the Blu-ray is. One of the interviews is a Zoom. Oh my god! Because, wow. okay. because specifically because they said and because of COVID nineteen. Oh my god! So like, Whoa! It's considered one of the revisionists or Western or anti-Western, post-Western kind of ideas because. Westerns, especially like John Wayne Western stuff, this is good guy, this is bad guy, and this is not that at all. <clears throat> the entire film blurs the meaning of good or bad. The black and white ethics are moved to a far, far deep shade of gray. <clears throat> Shortly after the movie came out, along those lines, Clint Eastwood contacted John Wayne and wondered if they could make a movie together. Wayne basically sent back an angry letter, denounced the movie for its violence and revisionist portrayal of the Old West, and he had no interest in working with Revisionist portrayal of the Old West? Yeah, exactly. John, uh, John Wayne is a brother black and white individual, I think. I guess so. <laughs> Eastwood didn't even bother to reply to it. It was so obvious that it was never going to happen. Uh, 
the Universal Pictures tried to get the movie shot on a studio, of course, but uh, they didn't do that. The whole town was built in a desert near Mono Lake in the California Sierras. Many of the buildings built to spec. They're actual fully functioning buildings that you could go in. It wasn't the fake fronts of buildings and stuff you see so much in Westerns. They built the whole town. And wow. that was what they used to shoot it. <laughs> he did a headstone to Sergio Leone and a couple of the other directors he wrote for in the when he drives up or rides up in the beginning. Pale Rider, which you talked about in a previous, I think it was even it was a, a different ghost TV, episode. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Pale Rider, which came out in 85, and this film open and closed with the same location, camera angle, and time of day. Wow. Huh. <laughs> so that's why they're, they're very similar films in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, Pale Rider's not nearly as mean. No. It's a much easier movie to watch. They had a crew of 46 tech and laborers work 10 hours a day for 18 days to construct the 14 houses and a two-story hotel. Wow. I'm really impressed with hearing that because um, this is a dirty looking movie. Everything yeah. looks lived in, including all the people. But the <laughs> yes. um, that's surprising to me that they built all that and mm. still looked that ancient and worn. Yeah, they did a good job with yeah. that. It was also filmed in order. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> it's almost entirely the one location. Yeah, you know, they go out, and the and when they go out, it's just with the exception of one scene, which is the prison sort of. It's just an exterior. Anything else just place out in the woods. All they got to do is walk <laughs> twenty feet and just point the camera the other direction. Plus, your cast uh, keeps getting smaller and smaller in this movie. True. So this is true. <laughs> you can just get them all together at one, and then say, "Okay, we don't need you anymore." That's actually That's super smart. Yeah, because yeah, they were three hundred miles outside of Hollywood. Shooting it. I was so. gonna say, did they build? They had to have built like bathrooms and mm -hmm. have that. Because yep. the film was shot in six weeks, two days ahead of schedule and under budget. Whoa! <laughs> like, no wonder the guy continued to get work yeah. as a director. Wow! It was the first of seven Clint Eastwood movies that featured the actor Jeffrey Lewis. Well, he was in Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, Every Which Way But Loose, Bronco Billy, mm -hmm. bunch of films. None of his really good films necessarily. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, Kino Lorber is the Blu-ray company. I think right. we need to drop them in with Shout Factory. and They do beautiful, beautiful work. Uh, lots of nice extras. No Clint Eastwood, unfortunately, but Clint Eastwood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. The, this and Pale Rider are the only ones that he starred and directed Westerns mm -hmm. as a Western. Vincent. He did direct Unforgiven. Maybe he did. It could be. Maybe I pulled that off of IMDb old site because I thought he did direct it. I thought so too, but I could be wrong. A revisionist revisionist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Vincent Canby of the New York Times called the film part ghost story, part revenge western, more than a little silly and often quite entertaining in the way that makes you wonder if you lost your good sense. <laughs> <laughs> I love finding some of these. Kevin Thomas of the LA Times called a stylized allegorical Western of much chillingly paranoid atmosphere and considerable sardonic humor that confirms Eastwood's directorial player. It's also pretty violent. <laughs> Won't disappoint the millions who flock to the Leone Westerns, which is true. It's by modern tales, it's really not that violent. I mean, it's nothing compared to like the Long Riders or some other Westerns right, that have right. been made. Oh, there's actually a quote here 
from John Wayne from the letter he sent, the, that isn't what the West was all about. That isn't the America people who settled this country. Um, I don't know, man. Too far. <laughs> I mean, that was that was a hard, hard land. It was it took a, hard people yeah. to live exactly, in. Hard yes. Land. Yeah, I think um, wasn't there a film not that long ago, Meeks Crossing, that did like the uh, Oregon Trail, like crossing across the U.S. Like, hey, actually, it was pretty crappy, yeah. guys. Like, it was not a good experience. All of you people that played the Oregon Trail game and died of dysentery, you know what? That's how it was. Yeah. <laughs> Most people didn't Those make it. Those rivers were hard to cross, guys. <laughs> not just in pixel form. Good choice. I might watch that tonight. Yeah, that sounds like such a crazy good film. It's pretty good. If you like westerns, it's really good. If you hate westerns, it's probably pretty good, too, because right. it's, it's sort of a finger in the face of John Wayne Westerns, which is probably why I didn't like it. Right. Okay. Well, so then that means, Eric, I believe mm. this next pick is yours. That's right. We're going to go with a uh, another bizarre, bizarrely specific style. Excellent. Hey. Movies with fog in them. Yes. You know what? <laughs> I had a goal. All right. And the goal was reached. <laughs> it was. Uh, the, now, the idea of a film that has... Um, Radio talent or radio broadcasts play a prominent role in what's going on in the in the movie. I choose the fog. I was going to say I can't do the fog twice, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just right. the fog would be a perfect example. All right, I like this idea. Okay, so that's what we're doing next week. As usual, big thanks to everybody who's liking and sharing all the posts. Uh, as I always say, we have zero advertising budget, so the only time that we get out to other people is when you get us out to other people, right. and we really, really appreciate that. Yes. We'll be back in one week. We're talking uh, radio Something. stuff. <laughs> Radios. All right, guys. We'll see you later. See you. Bye. Our show is recorded somewhere high above Naval Station Everett at the nexus of all realities and is engineered and produced by Eric Margaret. Our theme music is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find Strange Eons Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and wherever.